0: Hello, City Hope. It's good to see you this weekend. I want to welcome the Mobile Campus, Baymanette, Foley Campus, and then all the men at the correctional facilities. Welcome to our weekend service, and it's good to see you. I, I think you uh, survived the storm, protected and safe, right? I know some of you that live near the water, you were flooded and had some things going on there, but uh, for the most part, uh, we, were, uh, we were covered and protected, so we want to thank the Lord for that. Uh, and watching the Merry Christmas Gulf Coast video I want to remind you to go ahead and get committed to that quickly Uh, that is a project that I don't know we've been doing 12 14 years and that project many times comes short and the church will pick it up the budget to finish it Uh, but I've always said I wanted you to get the full blessing of it and so last year it's about a hundred fifty thousand dollar project when you look at all of it put together last year people families Just every family doing their part, some businesses doing their part, and all the funds came in. So all the blessings went to you, so please be part of that. Uh, You know, we, last weekend was part two of Rooted, and hopefully you watched that online. If you didn't, I encourage you to, so you'll kind of know where we are in tracking in this series. Um, Two weeks ago, Trey and I were at a pastor's conference at Gateway Church in Dallas-Fort Worth, Uh, We've been part of that network for about 12 years. We're a network church of Gateway. They have mentored us. And so they have a conference for pastors. So we were there, and many times one of the keynote speakers is Dr. Tony Evans. And on Monday night, two weeks ago, uh, he delivered a message that really, really stirred me from the inside out. The Bible says it rent my heart, which means it opened my heart. And I, I, want to, I, I want to share that. If, if you're not familiar with Dr. Tony Evans, he's written so many books. He's the founding senior pastor of Oak Cliff uh, Bible Fellowship there in Dallas. Phenomenal speaker, but he has a now word for the church. This was for pastors, but this is for the church. So I was going to do this last weekend, but with a hurricane, it, it didn't work out. So uh, with everything going on with all of the, the Vegas Uh, massacre and with all the football stuff going on this weekend is the weekend that I want you to listen to what he said to us and I could say this is Bitter Roots part two because our nation does have a lot of bitter roots and if you missed it go back and watch it you'll see what I'm talking about but so this is Bitter Roots part two or you could simply call this Humpty Dumpty
1: Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Now all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I don't know if you've ever studied that nursery rhyme, but let's analyze it. There's this guy named Mr. Dumpty. (laughs) And evidently Mr. Dumpty is an okay guy, uh, full of vim, vigor, and vitality because he He reaches the precipice of a wall on his own. He climbs up to the top. But something went cataclysmically wrong. We don't know what it is, but whatever it was, it was a doozy because it knocked him off his perch. Mr. Dumpty's world has now been shattered. He he lies there in his brokenness desperately needing to be fixed for his world to be put back together again. Now, what ought to capture your attention is where Mr. Dumpty went for help. He didn't go to his friends, his family, his neighbors, his social constituency. Mr. Dumpty went to the White House. Now, we know he went to the White House because the king got involved. In fact, the king was so desirous to fix Mr. Dumpty, he called a meeting of Congress. Now we know Congress got involved because it says all the king's men got involved. And what they decided to do was pass a fix Mr. Dumpty law. They funded the law so that there would be the necessary support mechanisms in place for the highest powers in the land to fix the brokenness of Mr. Dumpty. So the tragedy of the nursery rhyme is not Mr. Dumpty. The tragedy of the nursery rhyme is all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again the most powerful person in the land and all the support mechanisms of uh, the Congress together with whatever funding allocations were allotted were not able to put Mr. Dumpty back together again. Therefore, not only was Humpty Dumpty Humpty Dumpty, but all the king's horses and all the king's men apparently were as Humpty Dumpty as Humpty Dumpty was for the strongest powers in the land were not able to rectify the brokenness of Mr. Dumpty. All around us today, in every direction that you look, the shattering of Mr. Dumpty is evident. Whether it's on the racial issue, whether it's changing the nature and the temperature of a football game, whether it's terrorism, whether it's family disintegration, whether it's on and on and on ad infinitum ad nauseam. Mr. Dumpty is shattered and nothing seems to be working. I would like to suggest to you, perhaps, a different way of analyzing the cause and the cure of Mr. Dumpty's brokenness. And on whatever level you want to define it, I would like you to consider another explanation for it. And having considered this other explanation, for the shattered lives, families, social structures that we see on front page news all around us, that having maybe reanalyzed the cause, we may come up with a different understanding of the cure. In Second Chronicles chapter 15, we're told in verse three: in those days there was. No true God, no teaching priest, and no law. We're told in verse 5 that citizen rose up against citizen. City rose up against city. So in those verses, we're giving an explanation of a crisis on every level. There was no peace to him who came in or peace to him who went out. They weren't happy when they came home and they weren't happy when they left home. It says urban conflict was everywhere. City rose up against city. Whether that's race or class or culture, there was urban conflict. And then international conflict because nation rose up against nation. But then at the end of verse six, We're given the cause of the chaos. For the end of verse six says, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. For God troubled them with every kind of distress. I would have thought if there was personal chaos, family chaos, church chaos, cultural chaos, that the scripture should have said, for the devil troubled them with every kind of distress. But we read about chaos on every level, and the verse says, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. So if God is your problem, only God is your solution. If God is your cause, only God can be your cure. What we have fallen into is analyzing the crisis incorrectly by pinning on the devil what God once pinned on him. Now that is a different twist to the analysis of the brokenness of Mr. Dumpty. Let me put it another way. The context in which you are ministering today is a context of people and the culture experiencing the passive wrath of God. In the Old Testament, they experienced the active wrath of God. So you see a flood, you see the earth opening up and swallowing up Korah, you see fire and brimstone destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, you see the active wrath of God. But with the death of Jesus Christ, the world was reconciled to God, according to 2 Corinthians 5. And God's relationship based on the substitutionary work of Christ was so cosmic in its impact that it rotated how God could now relate to the world. So that no longer is the world facing the active wrath of God. The world now faces the passive wrath of God. The passive wrath of God is when God backs away and let you experience the repercussions of you leaving him out. The way that Romans chapter one, verses 18 to the end of the chapter puts it in verse 22, 24, and 28, for God turned them over. For God turned them over, for God turned them over. That means he released them. He didn't come out against them. He just left them alone. It's like when there is a rebellious child in the house and they don't want to go with the program. They don't want to follow the rules of your house and you let them go in their independence. But with that, the consequences of their choice. So what you're seeing is what happens in a life, in a family, in a culture, and in a civilization when they say, God, we can do this without you. And so God caused them, caused all kind of distress. So if you want to blame somebody for the racial crisis, the family disintegration, the breakup in people's minds and hearts and the The international chaos, God simply says, blame me because it is your independence from me that has brought about the chaos for you. Now, that raises a question, does it not? What exactly caused God to be dismissed from the culture? What was... The, uh, the basis for such a, uh, a distress that had penetrated the culture. Well, he gives three reasons in verse 3. He says, in those days there was no true God. Uh, don't misread that. He didn't say there was no God. He didn't say they didn't go to temple. Didn't say they didn't go to church. They didn't didn't say they didn't have Bibles on their mantelpieces. He says, the God they had wasn't real. There was no true God while there was plenty of religion. You and I today live in the day of the dumbing down of deity. We live in the day when God has been recreated in the image of man. You and I are living in the day when the true God has been replaced with false definitions of God, and the biblical word for false definitions of God is the word idol. An idol is any noun, person, place, thing, or thought that you look to as your source. Whatever is your source is your God, even if you use God's name while you look at another source. So you can literally be using God's name by worshiping another source. Now, when we in the West think of idols, we think of people in third world countries that are worshiping bricks and stones and trees and and, and, uh, inanimate objects. But remember, an idol is any now person, place, thing, or thought that you look to as your source so your race can be an idol. It may be more important to be black than biblical, and it may be more important to be white than agree with the Holy Writ. It may be more important to be Democrat than be biblical, or Republican than be biblical, and therefore you've introduced political idolatry to the issue. It may be more important to be rich than Christian, or brag about the benefits of poverty than to be Christian. And the moment you introduce those, you've introduced contemporary idols which cause the true God not to be seen. He says in those days, we live in a day with with, uh, God on the loop. You know, we got a loop around the Dallas area, Uh, a loop around the city is a, Highway, close enough to give you access, but far enough that you 're not bogged down with downtown traffic. We live in a day with God on the loop, close enough to look respectable, far enough not to be bothered with. My wife asked me one time she asked me she said she said, "Would you go to Walmart to get some stuff? Now you have to understand I hate anything with Mart in its name. <laughs> if Mart is in its name, i 'm not that excited about it, but but she had other things to do, so I wanted to be the first one in and the first one out. But when I arrived, the rest of Dallas had beaten me there. There were cars all over the Walmart parking lot. I'm trying to figure out why all these people here this early. I go get my goods, stand in this long line, and then I discover, standing in the line, that there is a store-wide sale. So everybody has shown up early to get their goods at reduced prices, and that's when it dawned on me That's our problem. Everybody wants God. They just want him on sale. As long as they can get the God of the Bible cheap, they'll shop there. The moment he comes at full price, they'll shop elsewhere. And so it is the dumbing down of God. There was no true God. That was the basis of it. In Ezekiel chapter 43, God says, you have let your kings build their throne next to my throne. You've let the politics of your culture sit next to my throne as though there are two kings and there's not enough room for two kings in this house. God doesn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants, okay? There's one God and and his kingdom rules over all. And until we decide that the true God is the only God, you won't see God affect the culture and the breakdown of Mr. Dumpty and all of its expressions in our environment. But that begs the question, does it not? Why was there not the true God? Verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 15 says, the reason that there was no true God is because there was no teaching priest. The pulpits had failed, and a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. Because the pulpits were not teaching about the true God and therefore the people were not getting information based on the divine standard, they were creating their own rules. If you came to me and your life was shattered, I would take the Bible, give you the biblical principles about whatever was shattering your life seek to give you contemporary application for fulfilling that biblical principle that your life might be put back together again. If your family was shattered, I would take the same Bible that I use with you individually, give you the biblical principles that define family from a kingdom perspective, give you relevant personal application to apply those biblical principles, to put your shattered family back together again. If you are a pastor and your church was falling apart and you brought your elders and deacons to meet with me, I would take the same Bible that I use with the individual and that I use with the family to give you the biblical definition of the church to explain how the church is supposed to function and try to relevantly apply it to your church's life so that your church would be put back together again. But what if you were the president and you brought Congress to me and said our nation is falling apart? What I would not do is change books. (laughs) I would use the same book that I use with the individual, the same book I use with the family, The same book I use with the church since the Bible declares that God created the nations. And if you want your nation to be put back together again, there must be biblical principles by godly people communicated to the powers that be because it doesn't matter what laws you pass if God is your problem. For God calls them all kind of distress. As a result, it says, and there was no law. People made up their own rules. People decided what marriage ought to be. People would decide when life would begin. People would decide what the basis of divorce was. People would make their own decisions. People would be talking about, I think, I feel, I want, not what God says, because the standards would have been dumbed down. What am I trying to say to you? You are the most important people in America because you represent the only group that can change God's mind. You, church leaders, representing the kingdom of God, you are the only authorized group that God has given to reverse the trend. Ephesians chapter three, verse 10 says, God checks with the church before he deals with the principalities and the powers. So he sees whether the church is ready first before he deals with the culture. Let me put it another way. God is not going to skip the church house to fix the White House. He's not going to skip what his people are doing to fix what's happening in Washington, D.C. He checks with the church first whether it's handling race right before he tries to fix racial divide on a football field. He checks with the church first to see whether they're dealing with class right before he fixes the economic disparity in the culture. He checks with the church first and based on what his people are doing determines how he moves. Sodom and Gomorrah were two wicked, wicked cities. Sort of like Dallas-Fort Word. They were in regular proximity to one another. They were just a few miles apart. God looked at the wickedness in the city. There was moral wickedness we know about. But according to Ezekiel 19, it says there was social wickedness in the oppression of the poor. And so it was a wicked city and it was about to be destroyed. Abraham offered God a deal. He said, God, can I cut a deal with you? If I find 50 righteous, will you for the sake of the 50 salvage the 500,000 in Sodom and Gomorrah? Will you accept the righteous presence as a down payment of not judging the society that you are about to destroy? God said, Abe, you got a deal. You find me 50 righteous and I will accept the righteous presence of my people as enough reason not to destroy the two twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham went to town, came back, and said, what about 40? Can I, will, you, will you cut a deal with 40? Because he couldn't find 50. God says, well, if you find 40, I'll work the same deal. Abraham goes to town in Genesis chapter 19, comes back. What about 30? Will you cut the same deal for 30? He says, you find me 30. He goes back, comes back, what about 20? I couldn't find what about 20? He says, same deal for 20. Goes and comes back, what about 10? God says to him, okay, I'm gonna go with 10, but that's as low as I go, that's my minimum quota. (laughs) So I ask you a question. Why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? It wasn't just destroyed because of how sinful the sinners were, it was destroyed because the righteous couldn't be located. And when the righteous cannot be located, when the righteous are hidden and not publicly expressing their faith, this is not a time for weak Christianity. This is not a time for apologies for our faith. Other people are not apologizing for their language. Other people are not apologizing for their lifestyles. Other people are not apologizing for their worldview. You better stop apologizing for Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. But what we're dealing with today is, is we're dealing with the, the downgrade of Christianity. Uh, yeah, people go to church, they sing songs and, and, they, and they worship and that is foundational, that is critical. But when they hit the marketplace, you see, so you leaders are here, you've, you're all gathered, this is wonderful, but this is like a huddle in a football game. 100,000 people don't go to the Cowboy Stadium to watch 11 grown men bend over. They don't, they don't go to watch 11 grown men do this. That, 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 uh-uh. No, now they don't mind giving you 25 seconds to bend over. But what they want to really know is what difference will your huddle make? They wanna know having huddled, can you now score? They wanna know what are you gonna do about 11 other men on the other side of the ball daring you to go public with your private conversation so this has been a great huddle this week at Gateway Church but the question on the floor is when you break huddle and go back out into the field of ministry will you score touchdowns for the kingdom of God before a watching world that is the question But that means that you're going to have to adjust your view of Scripture. Scripture can no longer be words about God. It must be the voice of God in print. That is, it must carry authority. God is not giving suggestions and ideas, nor is he merely giving pep talks on a weekly basis for 30 minutes. Or if you're in a black church, an hour. <laughs> this, is not, this is not a time for that. Says there was no teaching priest, you know, we, we, uh, you know um, the biblical authority has been lost in the church. We don't bring God's view of everything, and he has a view on everything. There's no subject you can bring up that there is not a precept, a principle, or a direct command to address it. No subject. Therefore, we speak on all subjects. We don't just speak on personal things and and good feeling, inspiration things. Yeah, we include that. No, but we speak on all things because God has spoken and he has not stuttered. There are two answers to every question. God's answer and everybody else's. And everybody else is wrong. So until you have that view of God's word, given in love, but given in clarity, then the culture will never be convicted because they will have never been confronted. It is time now for church leaders to take their stand as representatives of the kingdom of God, bringing his authority because only the church has been given the keys to the kingdom. See, Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. Only the church has the keys to the kingdom. Keys mean access, Isaiah 22:22. So only the church has been given access to this spiritual realm called the kingdom of heaven. And how do you know when you have access? Well, Matthew 16, 19 says it. Whatever you bind on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be bound in heaven. It's not God doing the loosing; It's you doing the loosing. Whatever you loose, I'll back up. Whatever you bind, I'll back up. So if heaven's not moving, it's because we're not loosing. If heaven's not moving, it's because we're not binding. Binding and loosing means exercising authority. That means exercising authority. So if there's no authority, I mean, come on now, how can we have all these churches on all these corners with all these members and all these buildings and all these programs and all this activity and all these preachers and still have all this mess? There's a dead monkey on the line somewhere. You know, we we talked about in the Q&A. In a football game, those seven refs are outnumbered. You got 52 players on both sides, then you got the coaches, then the home team has got the crowd. It's seven folk who are outnumbered. Outnumbered. The players are younger, stronger, and faster. The refs are older, slower, and fatter. <laughs> the players can knock you down, but the refs can put you out because while the players have power, they don't have authority. See, the devil has power. The devil devil definitely has power, but what Jesus addressed on the cross was the issue of authority. So even though the refs are outnumbered, when they reach into their back pocket and pull out a yellow flag, when they pull out the whistle and blow it, they shut that mama down. (laughs) Why? Because they have kingdom authority from the NFL offices in New York, and you better not touch them either. So being outnumbered is not the point, it's having the authority of the kingdom that is the point. But what we've done is, we have an evangelicalism. Am I going over time here? No, I got okay. We got, we got, we got this. We got this. Uh, we got this mixture in evangelicalism today. That's interesting because we like to pick and choose our issues. See, we we like to pick and choose. There is no way in the world that the racial problem we're facing should have lasted two hundred and forty years. I mean, there, there, there is no, there is no, this should have been solved in like two and a half minutes. You know, uh, uh, for example, for example, you know, Peter is eating ham sandwiches with the Gentiles. Galatians 2? P- Peter's eating ham sandwiches with the Gentiles, see? Because he found out they knew how to cook, and, and, and he, 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 and he, he lived all of his life never tasting pork. He never had pig feet, pork chops, chitlins. He, he never had any of that stuff. So, so, so he gets this, he finally, you know, he's led to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 and he starts tasting his food. So, so we find him in Galatians chapter two at the soul shack eating, eating pork, eating, eating ribs and stuff, pork ribs. And so he's out there eating with the Gentile and then some of his boys from the hood show up, okay? Some of the Jews from James show up and see pastor. They see their pastor, Peter, eating with the Gentiles. So, so they want to know, why are you eating with them? We got to live with them in heaven. We don't have to fellowship with them on earth. Why are you eating with them? So it says Peter got up because he was intimidated by his own race. So Peter gets up, intimidated by his own race, and he begins to make his way uh, away from the Gentiles. But racism is bad because... It says the rest of the Jews who were with him got up when their pastor got up and they walked away with Peter, okay? Because that's how bad racism is, it'll make good people bad. Then it says, and Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Not my boy Barney, not Barney. Because Barnabas was born in Cyprus. Cyprus is a Gentile colony in Rome. And so he was raised with Gentiles, went to school with Gentiles, played ball with Gentiles. But, but his pastor walked away. And so since Pastor Peter walked away, I'm going to walk away with him. And they would have gotten away with it, except Paul wanted some pork chops too. And so Paul shows up. And so when Paul shows up, Galatians 2, verses 11 and following says, when I saw their hypocrisy, I condemn Peter before them all because he embarrassed the truth of the gospel. Peter, you're messing with the Word of God. You're messing with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that made the two one. You're embarrassing the kingdom of God And when I sign books today, many of the books will be signed, Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I as Christ who lives in me, the life which I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The greatest one verse about the Christian life in the Bible comes at the end of this story. So Galatians 2.20 is in a story about racism. So you need to understand these are spiritual and theological issues, not merely social issues. And until you make them that, you can keep God at bay while you have seminars. You don't need seminars when you have a final word from God. You need a final word from God. But we we didn't dumb down stuff, so we like, you know, I don't like like apples. I'm a a banana orange guy. I don't like apples. Uh, Well, most of the time I don't like apples. I like them at the Texas State Fair. Because them are candy apples at the Texas State Fair. Uh, Now, I love them apples. Okay? But my doctor tells me that... uh, Once that apple is dipped in liquid sugar, it's of no nutritional value to me. I've canceled it out. See, what we do is we take the word of God and then we dip it in human opinion. We dip it in what the culture is saying. We dip it in what the politics is saying. And then we bite it and wonder why the word doesn't work. Because it's been nullified. The Bible says you do nullify the truth of God with the traditions of men. So the moment human opinion is brought alongside the word of God, the word of God has been neutralized. And it does no longer carry authority. So in closing, what should we do? Well, he tells you in verse four, For in their distress they turned to the Lord God of Israel, and they sought him, and he let them find him. When things got bad enough in their distress, when the politics weren't working no matter who you elect, when crazy people are mowing down people and you don't know whether it's okay to go outside anymore. When things got bad enough in their distress, then they came to terms with God's standard. And God let them find him. God's not waiting on the White House. He's waiting on the church house. He's not waiting on, he's not waiting on folk out there. He's, working on, he's waiting on leaders in here. He's waiting for the church to demonstrate the value systems of the kingdom of God so that he feels comfortable. He wants us to build him a runway so he can land his glory here. When we build the runway where he's comfortable again. Now if Christ comes back tomorrow, you don't have to worry about any of this. We'll be in glory. But if he doesn't come back for another 200 years, you better worry about all of this. Because it will only get worse and worse and worse and so my brothers and sisters I challenge you to understand that there is a God issue here not just a Satan issue and that God is behind a culture that has dismissed him and a church that has been co-conspirators. 9-11 is a day that will live in infamy in the minds and hearts of America. Thousands of people lost their lives in the devastation of the Twin Towers. That's because 19 men from halfway around the world invaded our shores, boarded airplanes, and brought devastation to America. 19 men with evil intentions brought the most powerful nation in the world to its knees. You will never ever travel again like you traveled before 9-11 because 19 men in the name of their God and in the name of their faith brought a nation to its knees and have Eat, forever change how we function in America so if 19 men in the name of the wrong God can invade the most powerful nation in the world and shut us down what do you think men and women in the name of the true God who are visible verbal followers of jesus christ can do when they declare to a nation jesus is lord king of kings lord of lords sovereign who loved us gave himself for us and is here to deliver us and to bring salvation to a desperate nation in need god bless you as you make god a place to land his glory on in our country.